Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. When you put all the gospel stories together, which sometimes is a no-no for theologians, you get a nice picture of what was going on in Resurrection Day. It was pretty busy. Mary Magdalene had seen the Lord. The other women had seen the Lord risen. And then they went to tell the apostles that Christ is risen. There you go. See, you should do that automatically, right? Luke's gospel says, and their words seemed to the apostles like idle tales, like nonsense, and they did not believe them. Luke has the two men going to Emmaus on the road, and Jesus meets up with them and starts teaching them out of the Old Testament about who he was and what he had to do. And then he meets with them, eats with them, and breaks bread with them, and their eyes were open, and then Jesus disappears. So those disciples head back, and they tell the apostles, they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Jesus is risen. Good. St. Mark says, and the apostles did not believe them either. (laughs) How many times did Jesus tell them this? Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. And he also told the disciples, most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Now, there's probably not a lot of joy being spread among those disciples behind those locked doors, I would imagine. It seems like more there may be much fear and doubt and guilt covering the whole group because of what happened to Jesus. And you think about this. What is their problem? They didn't believe the word from the mouth of Jesus. They didn't believe the eyewitness account of the women. They thought it was nonsense. They, didn't, they refused to believe the two Emmaus witnesses. What would it take for them to finally believe the truth? And we wonder that about a lot of people today, don't we? What will it take? What do we have to go through to get people to come to Jesus Christ? Some people refuse to hear the truth. They never get it when they are told the truth. Some come to church, but they fall away from the truth. And some sit in worship year after year and never allow the truth to change their hearts and their lives. The disciples had selective hearing like we do sometimes. Sometimes we only hear what we want to hear. We only see what we want to see. The Lord speaks in his word and we don't listen. Or we listen and we don't act upon it. Or we listen half-heartedly and we let apathy set in. Or we've just become lukewarm in our faith. The disciples were confronted with truth, and they still ignored it. (laughs) Nothing much has changed today. And there's also another side of this drama here. The apostles had been a little apathetic anyway about their support for Jesus when he needed them most. 
So you can see the little cracks in the relationships here. Sleeping in the garden instead of praying with Jesus, denying him, betraying him, abandoning him at the cross. That apathetic, lukewarm, rebellious attitude left them incapable of moving forward. And now they're living in defeat, anxiety, and sorrow, grief, and denial about Christ's promises. They're huddled behind locked doors in fear. And that's a little too close to home for some of us, huh? Yeah, we've been through this already. You know what it is when you say that you will do something and you don't? Or you do something wrong and then you make excuses for it? Or you tell a little lie to cover up what you did do wrong? You get a little bit upset when someone does something, gets something instead of you? The disciples did all of these things and more to Jesus. You cannot hide from the Lord. He will seek you out. Jesus in his resurrected body appears inside a locked room. And it's time to face the music, disciples. Can you imagine how they felt at that point of time? Their worst fear has come to pass. They're faced with the truth that they previously denied. And I'll tell you, if I were Jesus, some of you know me, what I would have done? <laughs> Not the baseball bat. I would have flown off the handle and yelled at him, them. Let's see God's wrath come down and have real justice on these phony followers of Jesus Christ, these hypocrites. Yeah, but see, Jesus isn't like us, sinful, right? Jesus is patient. And the thing about the Gospel of John is John gives us the happy version of what happened here. Peace be to you. Shalom alechem. I wanted to show off my Hebrew. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And that word for glad is a passive form of rejoicing, that feeling of relief came upon them because of their forgiveness. That's a beautiful scene. And of course, Thomas wasn't there, so he still refused to face reality after all those witnesses. He wants more scientific, empirical evidence for the truth. Jesus comes back eight days later. He reappears inside that same locked room, stands in the middle of them again, and says, Peace be to you. Shalom alechem. Thomas is given the proof he needs, the hands, the feet, and the side, and now Thomas believes too. My Lord and my God. Isn't our Lord gracious here through this whole story? He's patient and compassionate. He didn't go through all that suffering, pain, sorrow, rejection, and death to hammer them with the law. Despite all their failures, their ugly, sinful behavior, their apathy, betrayal, denial, abandonment, blindness, fear, disbelief, ignoring God's word, doubting his promises, making fun of the women's testimony, ignoring the Emmaus witnesses, the Lord grants forgiveness of all of their sins. Peace to you. That's amazing grace. I forgive you 
all of your sins, and here is why. And then he shows him the wounds on his hand and feet and side. And he carries those precious marks of his battle in his resurrected body. That's important. But it's all not that cut and dry. When you look at the other Gospels here, which we're going to do, Jesus, John gives the light and happy version of the encounter, and that's the kind of God we want in our lives, right? Light and happy, no drama. Thank you, I got away with everything, and I was forgiven. St. Luke gives us a little darker side of this encounter here. Listen to this. Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. That is a Hebraism. I am. The great I am, God, the Son in resurrected flesh, shares his divine peace and then shows him his atoning marks on his resurrected body. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And they still did not believe for joy and marveled. In other words, they were skeptical, but they were happy. So it's kind of mixed emotions here. It was just too good to be true. <laughs> How many people do you know who, when faced with the witness and the truth, still cannot commit to the reality of what the Lord has done for us all? In the long ending of Mark, it says this, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. We're getting a fuller picture here. They even ignored the law of God in Deuteronomy that says, By the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. They had many witnesses. They were still struggling. And despite what Jesus repeatedly telling them what would happen, and their persistent unbelief and refusal to listen, we see here the patience of Jesus Christ in this teachable moment. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written of me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And with that act, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Finally, like our reading in Ezekiel with the valley of dry bones, the breath of God revives them from despair and doubt. The resurrected word brings new creation life to our souls. The spirit revives us, opens our eyes, burns in our hearts, hopefully, and then grants us understanding of God's word. And the Lord allows us to see the reality and the truth of his presence. 
After all their failures as his friends and his followers, Jesus grants grace and forgiveness. And then on top of that, he commissions them to spread the good news. He entrusts them with the message of reconciliation and salvation for humanity. And they should know firsthand what that reconciliation and forgiveness feels like now. So they're empowered. And that freedom brings excitement and empowerment to these people's lives. People of God, we are one with the apostles in that fulfilling promise. A Trinitarian act of recreation by word and spirit of Almighty God is our witness. As John says in a longer version of John here, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water and blood, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. A little complicated. Like the Word, the water, and the blood in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Like the witness of the Spirit hovering over Jesus as the incarnate Word in the waters of the Jordan River. Like the water and blood that poured from Jesus' side on the cross. Like the Spirit, the water, and the Word of your holy baptism. And like the Spirit, the water, and the blood that shows the unity of our sacramental existence in the body of Christ. These fumbling, bumbling sinners like you and me are empowered by Christ to do his mission for the life of the world by his grace and forgiveness. John says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And that is the importance of coming here every single week. The Lord knows your imperfections. He knows your faults, your failings, your limitations, your deficiency, your stains, your blemishes, your spots, your inadequacies, your weaknesses, your incompetencies, your hurts, your sorrow, your fears, and your doubts. And despite all of that, the Father gathers us here in this unlocked room. Now it's unlocked by the power of his Holy Spirit in us, as part of the mystical, resurrected, glorified body of Jesus to receive the heavenly gifts of word, body, and blood. Peace be to you. Do not be afraid. And then we leave here in exuberant joy to bear witness to everyone around us that Christ is risen. Hallelujah, yes. And truly, Jesus did many of the signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. Amen.